Welcome to Live at America's Town Hall, the podcast bringing you live constitutional conversations held here at the National Constitution Center in Philadelphia and across America. I'm Tanea Tauber, Director of Town Hall Programming. On today's episode, Jeffrey Rosen speaks with three scholarly experts on James Madison. Professors Greg Weiner, author of Madison's Metronome, Colleen Sheehan, author of The Mind of James Madison, and Larry Kramer, author of numerous works on the Constitution and its history. These scholars explore everything Madison, including the importance of time in politics, his desire for rule by reason rather than passion, and his vision for Republican government. This panel was produced in partnership with The Atlantic as part of our national symposium, The Constitution in Crisis, What Would the Founders Think? Here's Jeff to get us started. Ladies and gentlemen, it's been a privilege to share this amazing uh, evening with you, and we're really fortunate to have three of America's greatest Madison scholars here in one place, uh, not, not, not since Madison dined alone or something like that, uh, as, as have uh, such a group of Madisonians been convened. And I want to start with Gregory Weiner because uh, Professor Weiner's book, Madison's Metronome, transformed the way I thought about James Madison, introduced to me the central Madisonian conception of time as being central to his vision of the triumph of reason rather than passion, and emphasized the need for cooling mechanisms to slow down the formation of public opinion so that reason rather than passion could prevail. So uh, Greg, in your great white paper for the Madisonian Commission, you talk about the many ways that technology and other factors have undermined Madison's hope that majorities would form slowly and be ruled by reason. Describe what Madison's vision was, why time was so important to it, and what some of the factors undermining that vision are. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. Um, the, the, the distinction really starts with, with uh, for Madison, with the distinction between reason and passion. The, that uh, for, for Madison, the, the passions were, were to be uh, diffused and reason was, was the, the mechanism by which we were to make decisions. And for Madison, the power of time is, is in the delaying effect in, in giving natural space for the, for the passions to, uh, to diffuse. So uh, Madison gives us a series of constitutional mechanisms, but, but also some fairly organic ones, like this, the extent of the territory and, and so forth, in addition to mechanisms like the Senate and, uh, and things like that. that, that uh, the way I would think of it is that a, a majority has to cohere for an interval that is proportional to the gravity of the, uh, of the issue under consideration. So something that, that's a major change in the regime requires much longer coherence for Madison so that public opinion can settle and be, and be deliberate. Um, I think the crucial thing to understand is that that is a fact of life in Madison's time, that things don't happen quickly. So it's not a, uh, by any means a flaw in the Madisonian system, obviously, that he doesn't see Twitter coming. Uh, but, but things are possible now that we're not in Madison's time, such that I would argue uh, that, that uh, patience, which in his time was a fact of life, has now become something of a virtue. And that, that poses a, a dilemma for the Madisonian system because Madison was uh, not entirely unwilling to rely on virtue, but, but not ultimately willing to, to rely on it. Magnificent. Um, Professor Sheehan, I found your book uh, by happenstance in a bookstore in DC and was also awakened to the central conception of 
the media in Madison's thought, and it was you who focused on his essays from 1791 in the National Gazette, which envisioned this class of enlightened journalists that he called, as you noted, the literati, who would allow reason slowly to prevail using mass market newspapers. You also talk in your great white paper <clears throat> not only about time, but about space, and you quote uh, Captain uh, Spock uh, in Star Trek on that proposition. So how would you amplify on Greg's thoughts, and how is space as well as time important to Madison? Well, first of all, Jeff, thanks for having me. And being from Pennsylvania, I just want to say that I've, I've watched the Constitution Center actually before it was founded since its inception. And I am absolutely thrilled with the work you're doing here. Thank you for that. Just, just one more uh, thing on that, that instead of substituting things for the Constitution and the founding because of being afraid that the public won't be really interested, you barge right ahead and you, you do the Constitution, take it seriously because people are interested in, in it, and you speak to citizens as if they are educated human beings because, of course, they are, as opposed to talking down to people. And I, and I think that that actually summarizes much of what Madison stood for. Um, the idea of space and time, Greg's work on this is, is excellent. Um, Madison was afraid of what he called majority faction, which basically was afraid of that those who get in power uh, rule simply because they're the greatest number. And so it's, it's might makes right. And so his whole scheme, his whole design for the Constitution is to not only try to prevent that, but to put in its place a just majority, or what he sometimes called public opinion. Uh, he wanted to place power on the side of right, and by right he meant justice. So that's a challenge he set up for himself. And it was a challenge that he said, uh, never before had we been successful at this. Um, free government had been tried over and over again since ancient Greece. And every time there, that, it, that, that there was a momentary uh, ray of glory, as Hamilton said, that broke forth from the gloom, and dazzled us with its uh, fleeting brilliance, soon enough it would fail. And so Madison thought he had seen the way finally that it might be possible that free government, small r Republican government, could finally work. And his, um, part of his solution to that was uh, to extend the Republic um, so that the communication that's required to form a majority will take time and I also think not only time, but in the midst of that time, uh, deliberation. So we might call it deliberative republicanism. And Madison's scheme to do that was uh, for the purpose of actually finding a way that the people could govern themselves rather than depending on others. Um, that if we take the time, slow things down, build in institutions like federalism, separation of powers, checks and balances, bicameralism, all these things work as obstacles, but not just to stop things, but for something to happen there. That is for, the, for us to stop and think, deliberate, talk to one another, and come, uh, if we can, to a consensus uh, on public measures. Larry, you have examined Madison's conception of public opinion in your path-breaking book, The People Themselves. And I want to ask you about the relationship between time and deliberation. And is it one or the other? Or if we could achieve deliberation 
quickly, mm -hmm. would that be Madisonian or do you need slow uh, formation of public opinion as well as deliberation to be Madisonian? So by the way, before I answer that, I just have to quickly note, Jeff obviously revealed that he knows nothing about Star Trek. Captain Spock. I don't. I think you're right. Not to mention that Colleen's paper actually no. quoted from The Next Generation. No, that's or, 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 yeah. Well, there are these names here. Kim, Janeway, Paris. Oh, Janeway. So it's Voyager. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, this, and this is a Star TV Trek series fan. or something? Star Trek fan. Yeah. Okay, sorry. Um, I was faking it. Yeah, yeah, I guess. So, and let me build off the other <laughs> two. I'm going to twist your question a little because I think building off of what Greg and Colleen said, we can sort of think about where we are today because Madison's theory really depends, as, as Greg says, it's largely around how can we create the circumstances in which we can find that balance where we have actual Republican government, it's popular government on the one hand, but that doesn't fall into all the traps that you know, they were experiencing in the period prior to the Constitution where you were getting lots of unjust laws. And so the idea of slowing things down for deliberation, but it depended very, very much on a leadership class. So the idea was there's a conversation that will be happening that is led by the leadership the political leadership of the country, and, and the structure of 18th century politics enabled that. So the, the problem isn't so much time. Things are still taking plenty of time. Nothing happens fast today, right? I mean, bills that get proposed in Congress go on and on and on. But what has happened is the structure of politics in which the way in which communications were were uh, got back to the public, the way in which leadership communicated, the space that leadership had to actually deliberate among themselves and then communicate, all of that is what has, has been changed so that that critical role, there's no space for it any longer. And that's a, a product, it is partly a product of the way in which, not now the internet, but before the internet even, cable TV and so on had like instantaneous each day communications back on what leadership were doing and then communications back from the public to them which left them a lot less space in order to do the kind of deliberating among each other that they needed, um, the way in which the structure of politics, whether it's campaign finance, primary elections, the dissolution of political parties have shrunk the space available to our political leadership to exercise the kind of leadership that the Madisonian theory presupposes. And it's, so it's not a product of bad people, but it is a product of politicians kind of trapped within a system that doesn't give them the freedom to do the kinds of things that the Madisonian system presupposed. So Greg, Larry has put on the table the lack of deference to a leadership class that prevailed at the time of the Constitutional Convention when both sides are literally locked in a room. There's no tweeting, so you can come to compromise without digging in your positions. And that privacy made the final product uh, uh, deliberative and possible. So what? tell us more about why it was that Madison thought that deliberation would lead to the formation of reasoned public opinion. And given the speed of communications today, which obviously can't be slowed down, what are, are there other ways of achieving reasoned public op opinion in an age of fast communication? Yeah, I, th I think uh, Larry is exactly right that what, what is accelerated is the formation and the hardening of, of public opinion. So one certainly could not accuse uh, Congress of acting precipitously on a, on a, uh, a series of, uh, of issues. I think the, the, um, 
you know, Madison speaks in Federalist 10 of refining and enlarging the public views. And he says, uh, Colleen is the authority here on the, the essay on public opinion, but he says that public opinion is the, the real sovereign in all governments and the, the, is the real sovereign, excuse me, in all truly free governments. So he, he's someone who certainly believes that an elevated public opinion should be, should be sovereign and if not lead the way, at least should, should prevail over our judgment. So I think it's important to note that refining and enlarging the public views which is the role he gives to, to leaders, still assumes that the public views are the base material with which you're, uh, with which you're working. Um, Colleen made another point that I think is very important, which is deliberation. So uh, time is, uh, we might say, a necessary but not sufficient uh, condition for a reasoned, uh, a reasoned majority. I, I do think that time in and of itself does a fair amount of the work uh, for Madison in making that space insofar as is his psychology presumes that passions are in and of themselves by definition short-lived. So one of the things that technology has done, uh, and we can, we can uh, it might be cable news, it might be social media, it might be a likely is a combination of all those things, is allows the passions to be renewed and constantly stoked in a way that, that, that wouldn't have happened before. So to give you one example of this, um, Madison uh, sort of reverses Hume's analysis of parties and says that Hume had said the ones that you really needed to worry about were the emotional ones that were people devoted to uh, political personalities and so forth. Madison says don't worry about attachment to political personalities because those are fleeting, those are passionate attachments. Now, you can pick your poison of any of the last few presidents, but, but it, it would be hard to deny, it seems to me, that somewhere in there there are cults of personalities surrounding, uh, surrounding the presidency and the people who, um, who occupy it. So uh, the, the, the technology, I think, is enabling that in a way, in, enabling the passions to be constantly stoked and sustained in a way that Madison doesn't foresee. That seems, a, that's a very important point, of course. And Colleen, as the, as the expert on Madison public opinion, what of Greg's point? So f posts on Facebook that are based on passion and appeal to emotion travel further and faster than those based on reason. So fake news travels faster than real news because an inflammatory headline is more likely to be shared without being read than one that is complicated and appeals to facts. So given that reality uh, and a politics that appeals to politicians in emotional rather than impersonal terms, what light can the Madisonian dichotomy tell us about how to resurrect the role of reason in the formation of public opinion today? Small question, but you know, we've got about, we got about three minutes left, so we better solve it. <laughs> and on to you, Larry. <laughs> um, well, first of all, um, we were talking this afternoon about the uh, uh, Twitter and, and Facebook and the problems of social media today. And, and I agree that these things are problematic in terms of especially this um, people being anonymous and, and saying things that I don't think that they would normally say uh, if they had to attach their name to it. But having said that, um, I still I think it's a problem, but I, uh, I feel a little bit like what Mark Twain said about Wagner's music. Um, I didn't say uh, I thought it was great. I just said it's not as bad as it sounds. <laughs> um, That's not fair. <laughs> So I think those things are, are problematic, but I think that, um, I don't think deference per se, if I'm understanding what folks are, are arguing for this, um, was what Madison was arguing for, uh, or that he would think was a solution. Gordon Wood originally had this idea that um, 
that this, what the Federalists in Madison were trying to do was to create a sort of elite, a distance between the people and the elite so that we sort of let them alone and, and let them rule a kind of, um, rather than it really being Republican, a kind of aristocracy or what some people call a ghostly body politic. We say the people are sovereign, but it's really a ghostly body. Um, I don't think that's Madison at all. I think Madison was a genuine uh, believer, genuinely dedicated to free government, to government by the people. And so the idea had to be, uh, how do we take what we have in terms of the public views and put them to the test uh, without, without having a minority rule or an elite rule? Um, how do we uh, establish deliberation at all kinds of different points of the governmental uh, uh, levels and systems? So that, just like education, education is about putting ideas to the test and weeding out the ones that don't hold up, that are inconsistent, that people can argue to you um, uh, are just wrong. And so the Madisonian system is a kind of educa a civic educational system in and of itself. Uh, in which, in the final analysis, uh, uh, those who rule are, in fact, the people. Now, how to do that today to slow things down so that we can have more reasonable opinions as public policy? Um, this, I think, is, is uh, primarily, a, uh, I don't know, primarily. It's certainly a problem of what's happened in government itself. Um, Congress is not legislating. And uh, Senator Coons is right. People in Congress have got to get the courage to do their job again. It's time for them to stand up and be legislators and not just um, constituent service or running for election. Uh, because the people's views work through their representatives. And if the representatives aren't doing their job, then they have actually let down their constituents and they're not representing their views. And so I think that's probably the first step and one of the most important steps to reestablish um, what Madison was looking for. Uh, Larry, because we're gonna respect Madisonian ideas of time, you have the last word and you can sum up as you please this remarkable and just incredibly illuminating discussion. But I do wanna ask about the role of education in general and constitutional education in particular. Madison says that uh, d d democracy without uh, knowledge leads to uh, tragedy or farce, and he recommends instruction in the science of government as a way of uh, educating citizens to adhere to Republican liberty. What was the basis before that, and is constitutional education actually a crucial part of the solution? Let, let me fit that in, although I want to, yeah. actually I don't disagree, we don't disagree at all, Colleen and I, but I want to elaborate on her point a little bit. So think of three potential positions. One in which what you're advocating is for some kind of elite rule that actually is to a large extent the federalist position. Gordon Wood's not wrong on that. You know, the notion was that citizens are subjects except on election day when they have sovereignty to replace their leaders if they choose. It, it's, a, it's not a particularly appealing co conception and in fact it is the point on which the Republicans Republicans led by Madison and Jefferson disagreed because they did believe in popular rule. 
On the other hand, think at the other side of what we think of as direct democracy. They absolutely did not think that was a good idea. You can't actually just have direct government by the mass of people. It never works, leads to all sorts of bad outcomes. So the, the key Madisonian insight, which I think is really kind of brilliant and so much lost today, is this balance in the middle. That's where the, the role of a so-called elite is, is, is leading the public in the conversation to have a government by persuasion. And so the whole structure of the system of extended republic, separation of powers, was all about creating a space for an ongoing conversation by which eventually a majority would coalesce around positions that were most likely, they might not always be, but most likely to be reasonable and just. And I think that insight remains valid today. I think after that, you have to kind of put the founding aside. Because the fact is, constitutional law is necessarily a form of customary law. It has, it's refracted through a text, but it has nevertheless been evolving since day one. And the structure of our politics and our political institutions and our public are so radically different today that we have to think about how do we capture that core insight in the context of today's politics. And so again, I agree with Colleen about what we need from our representatives, but we do need to acknowledge that, as I say, it's not a bunch of bad people who only want to do constituent service. It's that we have accreted a set of institutions that are limiting what they can do, controlling what they can do. And as I say, those are things, we know many of them. They are our system of campaign finance. They are our system of elections, in particular primary elections. They are, they are our media system right now. Th th these things are, are distorting our politics and we do need to address them somehow as citizens to create the space. So where does constitutional education fit in? One of the biggest losses, and you see this is not just on the public, but also on the part of most elected officials, all of the kinds of things we're talking about, most of them don't know and can't articulate. Because in fact, beginning about a generation ago, we stopped educating our children in the fundamentals of what it means to have an American democracy. Didn't think of that as an applause line, to be honest. But you know, it's, it's actually kind of unfortunate that it is. So we do need to, to recover that and recognize that education about the responsibilities and obligations of democratic citizenship is not teaching people that there are three branches of government and something called judicial review. Um, but it, it, is, it is getting people to understand these Madisonian insights. How do we have a system of popular government that will work and what are your responsibilities and obligations and what do we need and expect from our leadership and how do we both create the space for them to do that and then hold them accountable when they don't? That is the perfect note to end this absolutely remarkable series of discussions. So for educating our audience about the core insights of Madisonian uh, democracy and to our audience for taking the time, taking these two hours tonight to educate yourself about the Constitution and to learn from the greatest minds in America from diverse perspectives about the Constitution. I want to thank you for doing your duty as citizens. Thank you all. Today's show was engineered by Greg Sheckler and produced by me, Tanea Tauber, and Jackie McDermott. If you enjoyed this constitutional conversation, please rate, review, and subscribe to the show and tell your friends about it. And check out our companion podcast, We the People, a weekly show of constitutional debate that's available wherever you get your podcasts. On behalf of the National Constitution Center, I'm Tanea Tauber. <laughs>